Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Midnight Sun in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. First things first, uh, I don't know how, how it sounds at the moment, but I have a little bit of a scratchy throat. Uh, I just woke up, uh, which is partly the reason, and I'm drinking some water. I'm trying to soothe things back there, but uh, if, if we'll see. We'll see how it goes, uh, and I'll try to be easy on myself to make sure things don't get worse, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, we got an episode to do, and not gonna let you guys down. So, <clears throat> Midnight Sun. I saw preview night last night, Thursday night, and I was one of the four people in this theater. I wasn't really looking forward to the movie that much. Uh, I didn't, I had a very vague understanding of what it was about, I, you know, I hadn't watched any of the previews, trailers, etc. But I was, you know, I, I, I've i seen a handful of movies with Bella Thorne in them. And she's kind of a thing right now. Uh, or for the last couple of years. I don't fully get it. Uh, I think the only good movie I've seen her in was that was the Netflix movie The Babysitter, which I actually really liked. But I've seen her in a handful of things, and, and none of them were t terribly impressive, uh, either from a film standpoint or just her performance. I thought she was fine in The Babysitter, but everything else, meh, whatever. Uh, you know, I don't get the appeal, I guess is what I'm saying. And so, you know, for that reason... I wasn't particularly excited for this. I wasn't interested in it. The premise is that she has XP, um, which stands for a disease that means that she is hypersensitive to light and it can give her rashes, skin cancer, and event ultimately death. Uh, and, you know, this is not... Maybe this specific disease isn't exactly uh, the most familiar, but the premise of, like, a teenager who's stuck inside their house and can't go outside, I've seen that before. You know, you can go all the way back to Bubble Boy, uh, or, you know, last year's Everything Everything. There's definitely been uh, times before where we've seen this type of a thing. So, in that sense, uh, again, it was something wasn't terribly excited about because seeing it just last year and it's not I don't feel like it's a premise that lends itself well to being terribly creative and I don't know why that is I think that there's a lot of interesting things you can do uh, especially in this scenario you know like everything everything you're stuck inside the house daylight and nighttime so you're very limited in your scope but I think when your character is allowed to interact in, at night, I think that opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, you know, there's a scene in the movie where she's in uh, like a minivan with tinted windows during the daytime outside. And 
you know, she and another character, like, she can't even, like, see out them, barely, and, like, the people outside can't see in, or, you know, wouldn't be effective, and I just, I feel like there's so many different opportunities in that sense to, to take advantage of the, the situation that the character is in, and the film never really does that, you know, even with the van scenario, it's not really anything we haven't seen before, you know, it's like hands pressed against the window, and that's not original, we've seen that in, like, Star Trek and all those other sorts of things, so I don't think the film exactly has the, uh, scope and, and, um, heart for, uh, the creativity and, and, and flair for this film. You know, it's very s- simplistic, it's very straightforward, um, there's no, um, there's no director ship going on. And that's, I don't know, it's a shame. That's a shame. Uh... So, but, but, so obviously when your character is suffering from a disease that prevents them from doing something, naturally, at some point in the movie, that thing's going to happen, right? Like, that's inevitable. You couldn't have a movie with a character who can't be in the sunlight if she doesn't end up in the sunlight at some point, uh, which is exactly what happens. Uh, she develops a relationship with a boy, and through... Uh, nobody's fault, really. Um, you know, you can point the finger of blame at one or two different people if you'd like, but ultimately, she's in the sunlight for some period of time, and it's very, very bad. You shouldn't do that when you have XP, um, and that's kind of, that's it. That's the movie. There's not much more to it. It's very straightforward, and it really tries to hinge everything on the relationship between Katie, that's Bella Thorne's character, and Charlie, who is the boy, as well as uh, the two other main characters, which are Rob Riggle, who plays Katie's dad, and um, Morgan, who is Katie's best friend, uh, played by Quinn Shepard, right? Yes, Quinn Shepard, and the Charlie character is played by... Patrick Schwarzenegger, and uh, yeah, he is Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, and this isn't the first movie I've seen him in, it's the only one I remember, it's the only one I've seen where, like, I recognize that it's him, though, he was in Grown Ups 2 and The Benchwarmers, Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse, but I didn't recognize that he was in any of those at the time. Yeah, I don't think he was really a principal character. He's he's by far my the weakest link to me in this movie. He he doesn't come across as genuine or authentic. He just more so than any of the other people in the movie, he feels like he's just kind of reading lines and he doesn't have the voice for this. He doesn't have the facial expressions. He's just so monotonous and dull and impossible to to just connect to and like in my opinion and that's a sh- i mean that's a pretty big problem when you're ca- when like he's 
so much a part of this movie and such a big reason to watch the movie. You know, he, he just doesn't work. And it's not that he and Balathorn don't have any chemistry. There's definitely some there. It's not just a brick wall between them. But I kind of credit most of that to being uh, Bellathorn. I think she does a good job as Katie. Uh, she's not bad, uh, as I felt she was in most of her other movies. She's quite solid, and I think with a better romantic lead opposite her, uh, this could have been a little bit more um, believable and 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 more uh, enjoyable as far as the relationship side of things go. But, you know, you pick somebody like Patrick Schwarzenegger, and that's kind of what happens. So, he he didn't do much for me. On the other hand, uh, Quinn Shepard, who plays Morgan, who is Katie, Bellathorne's best friend, totally into. Loved her character, loved her performance. Uh, she was a fantastic uh, part of the movie. My favorite part of the movie, honestly. And... The only problem with that is that they don't give her, like, enough time. They don't give that her and Katie's friendship doesn't really get wrapped up at the end. There's no closure going on um, as far as the film's trajectory goes. She just kind of... But, like, the, the intro scene for her character when she's younger, when it's not being played by Quinn Shepard, she... Uh, she she shows up at the house when they're like seven or eight, and she knocks on the door, and Rob Riggle answers the door, and she asks what's wrong with Katie. She doesn't you know doesn't know who what's going on, and Rob Riggle says something to the effect of, "Well, she can't she can't come out during the sunlight; it hurts her." And the little girl's like, "So she can so she can play at night," and Rob Riggle's like. Uh, yeah, and she's like, alright, I'll come back tonight. And, you know, that's the start of the friendship. And it, it's, it probably, it, I don't know, it probably sounds silly, me describing it. But in the movie, it was cute. And, you know, it, it's it's a great sort of start to a friendship. You know, just the, the fact that this girl, Morgan, just impresses herself upon uh, Katie. And... I mean, that's fantastic. That's a great thing, because otherwise, Katie really wouldn't have uh, friends, as you see. You know, Morgan is Katie's only friend um, until she meets Charlie. And that's, I mean, it, it's tough to make friends when you can't really go out during the day, because that's when people are awake, generally. But... To have someone like Morgan, who is an incredible friend in this movie, is wonderful. And I don't think a lot of people can say that. I think that that's... Even just the, I don't know, the first half of the movie, where you really get to see the friendship between Morgan and Katie, like, that is a strong and meaningful friendship. And one that I think, ultimately, the movie does a disservice to toward the end by not paying dividends for but definitely during the early parts you know Morgan highlight of the movie for me um 
<laughs> there's a line I I note I took down a note of this line she says. So right after so after the second time Charlie and Katie meet and uh Katie has Charlie's number and Morgan's trying to get her to like call him, invite him to a thing, do something with him, see him again, whatever. And she and Katie says something to the effect of, well, don't have to wait like two days or, or, you know, wait for him to text me first or this stupid idea that like there's a rules to talking to another person in the world. And I don't know if I have the quote exactly right, uh, but she says something um, in response. She kind of snarks back at her. Uh, yeah, he'll get his squire to send word by carrier pigeon to merge your kingdoms. And love that line. It's the only line I took down for the whole movie. I, th- I thought it was super well written, and Quinn Shepard delivers it really well. It comes off very funny. And... Uh, I don't know, I, I just... Morgan's whole thing, you know, she has... I feel like she gets like even more of an emotional journey, relatively speaking, to Katie than Katie does. You know, obviously Katie is the center of this movie. She gets ninety percent of the screen time, if not more than that. And we watch her go through a pretty life-altering uh, thing in her life, and in this, you know, she's seventeen. I think the whole time that we're seeing, I think from the beginning to the end of the movie, she's still 17, outside of like the early moments. But beyond that, like Quinn Shepard as Morgan, she doesn't, you know, she gets her own little mini arc that I think, you know, we kind of only get to see it in like part as parts of montages in the last third of the movie. And again, like, I think that that has done a disservice to that character. And it's a shame, because Morgan is one of the best parts of the movie. This not the best part of the movie. Alright, so, looking through some of these other notes here. Um, there's another ca- character named Garver, played by, let's see here, Nicholas Coombe, who I haven't seen in anything else. Uh, who doesn't really get a lot to do. He gets like two, three lines, not that many. And he is initially introduced as a uh, co-worker of Morgan's. They work at like this ice cream place. I liked him in this movie. He's, I thought he was far more charming and personable than, than Patrick as Charlie was. And his relationship um, and, and his interactions with Morgan are great and hilarious uh there's i'm just kind of looking down some of my notes here um there's a moment where charlie and katie eat chinese food on a train and neither of them have ever been on a train before but charlie mentions you know look the first rule about trains is you gotta eat chinese food out of a bag and so that doesn't make sense, one, because it's the first time either of them went on a train, but it's a joke, like, that's not part of it. And on the other hand, like, I've ridden a lot of trains, and they, they this movie takes place in, like, around Seattle, like, just outside Seattle. So 
I don't know how different the train, you know, I'm on the East Coast, so trains probably a bit different out there than they are here. And I don't know, just like, it's a movie, but like, it, it just, I don't know, the, the whole train scene and everything that follows on that night just felt so grandiose and so over the top relative to the net, to them being like teenagers. But I do like the idea of Chinese food on the train. It sounds good. I like that. It should be a rule for everyone. You have to. If you don't have Chinese food to eat on the train, you shouldn't be allowed on it. Uh, let's see here. I have like three notes that I took down just about how much I love Morgan and Garver in this movie. Uh, there, when, when, the, when the moment does finally happen and Bella Thorne as Katie is like caught in the sunlight, you get this moment where... Uh, Charlie doesn't know what to do because he isn't aware at that moment that she has this disease. And then like a fraction of a second later, you see Rob Riggle come by and he's freaking out. And then you see Morgan show up like another split second later. And I, I love the fact that you see Morgan in this scenario. I think it's it's beautiful that she's so hyper, like so hyper aware of like her best friend's situation and what's happening with her you can tell that like the two of them Rob Riggle and Quinn Shepard have been like out looking for her because they know that the sun's coming up and they don't know where she is and they want to make sure she's safe and okay and you don't have to like explicitly state that when they do and they don't but getting to see Morgan react that way and and, and be so attentive is is a beautiful thing and you kind of get the sense that this isn't the first time it's happened. Uh, it doesn't seem like she's been really caught in the sunlight before, ever. But presumably there have been some close calls. But she'd been, you know, pretty perfect up until then. Um, I have a note here that I think from prior to being caught in the sunlight to post to the rest of the movie that happens after she's caught in the sunlight, I think the shift in emotion, particularly in Katie, is a little abrupt. I understand that it's kind of a life-threatening thing, and that's not... Uh, it's not nothing. You, know, you can't just scoff at that and say, oh, I'm fine, when clearly you're not fine. But I do think that just how quickly everything becomes somber, everything turns gray, everything, you know, she, you know, her entire face is just pale and cold and uh, clammy looking. I, I just, I think it, it, they overdo it a little, and I think that that needs to be a little bit more gradual. Uh, you know, you can end up at the most dour, darkest, you know, Batman level you want, I just think that they they needed to work their way there, I, you know. I think the 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 way that the plot presents it, it's not a given. You know, it's not like as soon as she's out in the sun, it's one hundred percent a guaranteed death sentence. You know, there have to be tests that are run. You know, and it seems like from the moment that it happens, not only Katie but every other character is like oh my gosh, you're gonna die. And I, I don't think that they needed to jump into that from the get-go. I think that that was a little fast. Um, I already mentioned that. Uh, and then, 
So Rob Riggle, if you've seen him in anything, and I've seen him in, according to Letterboxd, this will be my 20th movie I've seen him in. Half of them are animated or so, like Emoji Movie, Hotel Transylvania, Ho- uh, Lorax, Helen Back. It's not half, but a, it's a decent number. And he is like 100% a comedian. None of the movies that I'm looking at outside of 12 Strong are not comedies. And this is not a comedy. And he is, you know, he he's, I guess, kind of in a comedic role for a moment. But most of the time, he's being asked to put some in, put in some dramatic moments. Uh, he's the dad of a kid who's diseased and, and could die at any moment. Uh, he is um, a widower. You know, the, the Katie's mother dies before the movie really starts. And that's, that's tough. And he has some good, strong moments where he's being asked to do more than just be a comedian. And I've never seen him in that situation before. But... Uh, I thought he was passable. I, I don't know that he really has a future in being in dramatic roles necessarily, but he was signif- He was definitely serviceable in, in that kind of a situation, and I was surprised. I, I wasn't sure he had that in him. There's also a side plot in this movie uh, about Katie, uh, Bella Thorne's character, who, so because of like how this movie is constructed, if... If the movie is just your character is diseased, they succumb to the disease, and it defeats them, uh, that's pretty depressing. Uh, you know, there's no uplifting moment. There's no happy ending. And, uh, you know, so any character that's diseased in a movie kind of has to have something else that they're doing, something that they can be successful in, something that they can uh, achieve. By the end of the film, whether that means the end of their life, whether that means the over, overcoming the disease, whether that means, you know, something. And for this movie, Katie is like a singer-songwriter. She goes to the train station and performs, and, and you know, people toss money into her case and things like that, uh, which is cute and nice. And I don't, they, you know, Bella Thorne sings, and I assume it's her own voice, uh, but it, it, it would, it's, it's not great you know, she's fine, and throughout the movie, you know, we see this kind of recur again and again and again, and and she becomes a little bit more forward, and Charlie kind of encourages her to, you know, sing more, and that's awesome, I I think that's great, I'm glad that he encourages her to do it, I, you know, I would have loved to see Morgan in that role too, but for what it is, I, I think that's nice, However, that storyline plays out, in my opinion, in a very unrealistic manner. We get to a level and to a point where I just, like, she's not, like, the next best thing. You know, she's not gonna, you know, as even in the movie, like, Morgan kind of compares her to Taylor Swift. And I'm like, that's not, she's not Taylor Swift. She, She can't sing on that level. She has a nice voice, but it's not great. And I think, like, the movie is trying to push this scenario where it's it's far more impressive than it really is. And, like, that 
just rub me the wrong way, uh, particularly toward the end um, with everything having culminated. I just didn't fully buy it. I, I don't. They didn't sell it very well, and Bella Thorne doesn't really sing well enough, honestly. And she doesn't exactly like. They don't find a way to really tie those two things in, which sucks. Uh, you know, she plays the guitar, and one of the sub um, symptoms of uh, being having XP is that you have like muscle spasms. So like if she gets muscle spasms, then she can't play the guitar and very little is made of that. Like they don't focus or, or harp on any of these other things enough. And, and then we, we don't really get a chance to suffer from, from that loss. I don't think, I, I think that we, I don't know, it just really sucks. And then the end of the movie, and I'm gonna try and try and avoid spoilers, although this isn't doesn't seem like a movie everyone's running out to see. Uh, so you know there aren't gonna be there's not gonna be a spoiler section, but just one of just uh, my gripe with the end of the movie is there's no closure. There's fake closure. We have like this pseudo montage uh, of all these characters like sort of being okay with the outcome and I wasn't I you know I think it's just a shitty cop-out to kind of avoid those you know that the big dramatic moments that this movie kind of needed at the end it just kind of fizzles which is different like I definitely think it's not the direction most movies go and for that I I like that angle but it doesn't work it doesn't there's a reason movies don't go this way, and it's because it doesn't work. It doesn't pl- pay it pan out very well. You don't have this catharsis. You don't have this like release that you kind of need after suffering through this movie with your character who is in turmoil, who is in pain, who su- who hates you know their predicament and their situation and their life and wants better, wants better for themselves, wants better for everyone around them, and you have to find a way to juxtapose that with the emotions being felt by everyone else and how they have to live with the reality of the situation that, you know, this person is diseased and they have problems and issues that have to be taken care of and addressed or, you know, uh, bad things could take place. So uh, I just, I wish that the movie had done a better job of paying respect to the feelings of Rob Riggle and to to Morgan's character and to Charlie. You know, as much as I don't like um, Charlie, you know, he still deserves his moment too. And none of them really get it. And it's silly. Uh, Silly, 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 silly. And so the last thing I wanted to address is one of the themes in the movie. And... That la- this theme I kind of boil down to being more than a disease. So when Charlie and, and Katie's relationship starts, she doesn't tell him that she has XP right off the bat. And the reason she does that, she says she tells this to Morgan and she tells it to her dad, is she wants to be with him and not have him think that she is just a disease. You know, she wants him to think she's a person. And I totally understand what this is. I totally get this theme. I totally understand this. I've dealt with it myself. You, when there's something that significant that has happened to you, 
or uh, is affecting you or is part of your life, it's really difficult for other people to separate you from that thing. And it's easy to want to, and it makes sense to want to avoid bringing that thing up and, you know, just labeling yourself as that thing. You know, I've dealt with it. Uh, you know, both of my parents have been dead for a very long time. And that was kind of a thing in school. You know, I remember, you know, I was on the tennis team in school. And when I was a senior, we were on the bus going to a, an away game, I must have been. And one of the I forget how the conversation came up. I think it was because uh, I think one of the freshmen was talking to myself and a couple of the other seniors and had asked me, you know, we were all like really close, good friends. So it wasn't like, ooh, freshman talking to a senior or anything like that. But they like asked, he asked me something to the effect of, you know, how come my grandparents are the ones that always bring my tennis stuff out, take me places, pick me up, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, you know, I wasn't super comfortable talking about that kind of stuff or like bringing it up. I didn't want to make it a thing, but my friend, uh, Andrew, who was there, you know, he and I exchanged a look and he's like, I'll tell him. And he's, just, you know, so he just like told this guy, this other, our other teammate. And he was like, look, Ryan's parents are dead. That's why and that kind of thing. And that's a, you know, whether or not you feel like it is, whether or not you want it to be, whether or not you think you would make it one, it's kind of a stigma. You can't not, like something that heavy, something that big is impossible to get around. You have to embrace it and you have to accept it and you have to live in it. You can't just ignore it. It has to be a part of you in some way. And the same thing goes for Katie with having XP. You know, that is a thing that's not curable. She's going to have it for her entire life. And at the end of the day, you know, she, she has to be comfortable. She seems, early in the movie, very comfortable with her disease. And it's only once she meets Charlie, when she starts spending time with Charlie, that we get this idea that, like, she has felt like this disease defined her for her whole life and now she doesn't she wants a moment where it won't and doesn't you know for this is a thing that keeps you in and out of hospitals you know you have to live a particular way you cannot go outside during the light that is a whole host of uh, restrictions and it's something that really plagues your life in a way so to want to avoid being characterized in that sense by just one person, just one person is, I mean, totally understandable. You don't want everyone to look at, you know, like we have this silly scene early on in the movie when she's a very, when she's very young of these group, this group of girls outside of her house. And one of them tells the others that like the girl living in that house is a vampire. And that's kind of the thing. Like you, you, you don't want it to be that way, and you hope that you can be ju non-judgmental about it, and that you won't label someone as a particular thing. But with most of, with a lot of things in life, the knowledge that something has happened to you, or that you are a thing, or that you have a thing, does sometimes overpowers you in a way, and. You know, I know there are a lot of people that have felt that with, you know, a when they're 
if they're not heterosexual, that that thing might define you and people are afraid to be, to let other people know about that thing. Or if you're not uh, cisgender or if you are this, that, or the other thing, um, those are, those are elements of, of life where we live in a world that kind of labels us that way as much as we don't want it to. And as much as so many of us, you know, don't act that way, there are a lot of people that do. And particularly when you're a kid, it's, I think it's amplified even further to an extent. Um, not always, uh, they're definitely, there's also that side of things where like kids kind of ignore those things more often, but I don't know. I think the kids, I think it's, it's more of kids take those, that scale to its extremes rather than grouping towards the middle of it. And adults are, you know, group more towards the middle of it, in my opinion. So, you know, whether it's having a disease like cancer or XP, whether it's um, being homosexual, bisexual, asexual, uh, trans, um, or, you know, you being the kid that, or, or, you know, loss of, you know, maybe you're the only kid in school that has one leg or, or nine fingers or, um, dead parents, you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing where you end up describing a person like that, you know? When, some, when you're not around and people talk about you, you kind of assume that the first thing out of someone's mouth is like, oh, the gay kid, oh, the transsexual, oh, you know, the cancer kid, oh, the XP kid, oh, the orphan kid, you know, all those different things. And, uh, you know, the, some people find out that that's the case. Some people find out that maybe that isn't the case. But I think that's a fear for a lot of people when they deal with that thing and and there's good aspects of you know there's positive things about people that they don't want to tell you know like think of celebrities like if or kids of celebrities you know like as soon as people find out that your dad is whoever like that changes everyone's perception of you that changes what they think of you and you don't want it to necessarily you don't want people to know that your dad is um I don't know, Kobe Bryant or, or LeBron James or Tom Cruise or whoever it is. Uh, and so that's, you know, cause as soon as they find that out, that could change a lot of things and that can make some people resent you. That could make some people try to get stuff out of you that can do all this thing. And so when it's a negative thing, like a disease, uh, a loss of someone or, or, something else, then you don't want people to coddle you. You don't want people to treat you like you, you don't have a thick skin. They don't, you don't want everyone to feel sorry for you because that sucks. That's a shitty, shitty, shitty existence. And I totally get that. That's something I hundred percent connected with in this movie. And I think the movie does a lot of telling us that that's what's happening as opposed to showing us how that is because the truth of the matter is we don't get to see a lot of moments where Katie is spending time with someone who is judgmental. We really only get that one vampire scene, honestly. And I think the the movie does a disservice to that theme if it was trying to like harp on it a bit more. And I think I mean that's a different movie. 
that's a different movie than the one we end up getting. But there's a lot there. There's a lot to that. And there's a lot going on that people don't, you know, if you don't have something like that, if you've never experienced, undergone, or, or lived through a moment where your identity is changed by something that happened, you know, maybe you get arrested or you're in a bad car accident, you know, that kind of leaves a lingering effect, something that's stays with you, you know, if you've never had something like that happen, and you've kind of just gone through life, relatively speaking, normally, as opposed to the more extreme cases, then you might never think about something like that, Uh, especially in terms of yourself, but, you know, even in terms of other people, you don't think, you know, even though in your head, the first thing you think of when you think of, you know, Bart, who's your neighbor, is that he's gay, you know, you may not ever say that, you may not never ever, like, clarify Bart as being your gay neighbor, but if you think that every time, like, that's already, you're doing it, like, even if it's not up front, and, uh, you know, maybe that doesn't even make you treat him any differently, maybe, you know, even if, you know, no matter what else Bart is or has or does or or defines him, maybe you just treat him absolutely the same as you would in any other circumstance. But just the thought that that's what you, the first thing you think of when you think of him, labels him. And and I don't think Bart or me or, or, or Katie or anybody likes that or enjoys that or appreciates that, you know. It's uh, it's a big thing that this movie inadequately tackles, but does bring up, and I like that aspect of it. So, all in all, um, pretty negative on this whole movie overall. I, I think I've been kind of in the middle as far as like talking about it, but it's definitely not a movie that I think is any good. I, I think it's okay as far as whether or not I liked it, but in terms of the quality... Uh, I think it's meh. It, I, I compare it to a movie like last year's Before I Fall. I think they're about similar. And Before I Fall, I rated a 29. So this movie is going to be like low 30s, high 20s, probably. And uh, that's it. That's it. So that's that's Midnight Sun. That's today's review. And thank you so much for listening. It's uh, appreciate it. And if you want to write into me, the show, ask questions, submit movie lists, um, always accepting like top movie lists, uh, you can do that on Twitter at Circle of Film or on email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash stranger. You can go to the website, circleoffilm.com for all past episodes and lots of other stats and fun things over there or you can support the show on patreon at patreon.com slash circle of film and as always have a week so long farewell i'll be the same good night i know she'll never leave me even as she fades from
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.